Because Linda wanted me to mention that it'd be uh, likely be pulled pork, so that makes Ooh, a difference. All right. Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. Okay. Well, let's pray. Joe, can you pray for us? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you called us to worship you and put aside everything that uh, we were thinking about and got us here this morning and rushed to get here and children dragged and all that. They don't even say anything. Okay, just I even take the mic to your seat probably because we won't yeah. use that again. Okay. Don't have to try to wrangle right. wrangle that back into here. So yeah. Okay.
Thank you, Don. Just a couple of announcements before we begin. Um, let me just say right from the beginning, we had to mess with the sound again this morning. It's like every other week or something, but let me know if it's too loud or too quiet. Wave your hands or something like that, and we'll try to get it adjusted. Hopefully it won't, uh, won't be too loud. Um, this week, uh, the Bible study on Thursday, looking for uh, somebody to host it, a home to host it. So if you're willing, please let Pastor him. Oh, oh, we got the naps. Oh, so the Bible study is at the naps house, 7 o'clock Thursday night. And um, you'll probably have to see them to get an address there to Brighton, I think. Yeah, okay, okay. So at the Naps House on Thursday night, and then uh, next Sunday is our fellowship meal. It's not tentative, it is at our house next Sunday after the worship service. Um, we're, we're not gonna do lunch meat, we'll do, probably do like pulled pork. So if that changes your plans of what you dish you're gonna bring, you can uh, plan on more of a barbecue type stuff. Um, something's going on with the lighting up here. I don't know what it is. I feel like I'm in the dark. It does look the same up here. I don't, but just to let you know, we're trying to figure that out. And I already mentioned the sound is, uh, we're hopefully we can get that dialed in right. So with that, we'll begin our worship service. Please stand with me and let us worship the triune God together. Revelation chapter 4 is our call to worship. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. People of God, the Lord be with you. Let's continue reading from Revelation 4 in our opening litany. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and behind. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us up to your throne room, and we stand in your presence in awe as the living creatures, the elders, the angels, the church triumphant throng and praise you in perfect holiness. And you give us the unbelievable privilege to join in with their praises. So with all your creatures in heaven, let us rejoice, for you are king. Let us give glory and honor to you as we sing and as we confess our sins, as we pray and as we hear you speak and as we come to your table. 
We draw near to you now through our risen Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, living and reigning with you, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please turn your contus to number 537. Rejoice, the Lord is King, number 537. Rejoice, the Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Rejoice, give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your hearts, lift up your heart, rejoice again, I say, rejoice. Jesus, the Savior, This morning is the last things, as you uh, just sang in that last verse, rejoice in glorious hope, our Lord the judge shall come, and that reminds us of our need to confess our sins. I don't often do this, but I'm going to ask you if you have a, a Bible along, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read 10 verses in the call to confession this morning, and these are quite important verses for the theme this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The first 10 verses. Hear God's word. For we know that if the tent which is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we should, would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Thus far the reading of God's word. The main point of this text is one that feels to some of us too Gnostic. Gnostic is the idea that the body, physical things, are bad, inherently less spiritual. Uh, But verse 1 says, this earthly body, Paul calls it a tent, is temporary. Verse 2, that while we are in the body, we groan and we long to be with the Lord. Verse 8, it's better to be with the Lord apart from the body. And this is a good corrective. When we think that we're correcting past errors of Gnosticism or Pietism, it's good, uh, don't try to reinterpret this into an anti-Gnostic kind of lens. Just believe what the verse in front of you says. Being in the body on the earth brings burdens. Verse 4. But we should remain of good courage, verse 6. This courage is not a stoic kind of, well, I'll muscle through this even with my bad back kind of courage. It's not that. No, verse 8 says this courage is looking ahead to the future when we will be at home with the Lord, with the bodily problems of pain and disease and death all gone. So today, uh, you may need to confess putting too much stock, too much worry into your physical condition and situation. God can bless you even when, especially when, you are frustrated with your body or your job or your house or anything else physical. Or you may need to confess giving your physical situation too little thought to how it impacts your spiritual life, which it certainly does. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do confess our many sins to you. We let our bodies and our minds lead us away from your ways. Forgive us our sins of the flesh preening over our appearance, gluttony, lust, laziness, and forgive us also our sins of the mind, pride, envy, anger, and malice. Lord, we confess that we do not take courage for today by considering your glorious future for us. We put our hope too much in earthly things. And forgive us our weak desire to be in your immediate presence. We confess to you these and all of our personal sins through the blood of the Lamb, our Savior Jesus Christ, and Selah.
And Lord, we confess all of these sins in the conquering and the forgiving name of Jesus. And amen. Lift up your heads now, people of God. Arise and be seated to hear the good news, the assurance of your forgiveness. Again, an end times passage from Revelation 14. I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Thus far the reading of God's word. And as we have died in Christ, as we will die and and, uh, pass on to glory, know that your deeds will follow you, that you will rest, and that we've been given that rest ahead of time in the forgiveness of our sins. So as you have confessed your sins sincerely, I declare to you that your sins are forgiven through Christ. Lift up your hearts. Please stand and turn to number 540 at the name of Jesus. We'll be seeing both 540A and B. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess him, King of glory now. Tis the Father's pleasure. Trusted and adored in your. 
Crown him as your captain in temptations are. Let his will enfold you in its light and power. Brothers, Lord, Lord Jesus shall return again with his Father's glory, with his angel train for all wreaths of upon his brow and our hearts confess him king of glory now amen you may be seated As we sung again of that return, let us turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, taking a break from the short Westminster shorter a bit here, and consider the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Let's read responsively. How does the resurrection of the body comfort you? How does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Let's turn to God in prayer now. Heavenly Father, these are glorious uh, thoughts that we've been considering and singing. We give you thanks and praise that you uh, are a God who uh, cares for us from creation to consummation. And as the psalmist says, let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Lord, we're mindful of uh, Solomon uh, penning Ecclesiastes, remembering that uh, it's not up to him if his work is established to the next generation. But Lord, it is up to you, and we trust you in faith that the work that we do uh, will not be in vain. So on this Labor Day weekend, we remember the work you've given us to do, Uh, It's a spiritual activity because you've ordained it, uh, and we praise you for giving it to us, uh, for blessing us with prosperity through our fulfillment of this creation ordinance. Thank you for the employment that we have, for a relatively stable economy. We thank you, Lord, for all the work that is done inside the home and out, and we thank you for uh, the ways in which we can look forward to that that labor, uh, as one uh, writer has put it, that we are plowing in hope, uh, in, in looking to your promises. We thank you, Lord, for works of service done at Christ Church, some seen, some unseen. Thank you for the work that many could do at the Kidders yesterday. We praise you for all of that. We give you thanks, Lord, for the ways in which we can labor together with the work of our hands. Uh, we pray for our sister CREC churches this morning for Christ the Redeemer in Pella, Iowa. 
We thank you for Pastor Michael Shover and the congregation there. Uh, we lift them up as they uh, worship this Lord's Day this morning as well, uh, feeding uh, the flock there. We pray that uh, you would bless them and grant them faithfulness, courage, and uh, boldness to bear witness to your name in Pella. We thank you too, Lord, for the privilege of coming to the Lord's table every week to be strengthened with the soul food of union with Christ. Lord, this is such a great blessing to rest one day in seven, to setting aside our labors, uh, trusting in your labor that you have done for us. So we thank you, Lord, for that. We pray, Lord, uh, prayers of petition as well. We lift up uh, church members far from us. We pray for Olivia and for Isaiah, uh, for Grace, uh, even as she's visiting with us today. We pray that you would bless them as they are uh, farther away for a time. Uh, grant them uh, wisdom, uh, blessing, uh, insight, maturity, uh, and holiness, we pray. We lift up also Pam as she's undergoing chemo, as she's recovering. We pray for uh, bodily strength to ward off infection, for spiritual strength to trust in the Lord. We thank you for uh, the ways in which you are uh, walking with Pam and Daniel through this time. We lift up also our mission works, the Pregnancy Helpline, the uh, Pregnancy Center in Brighton, we pray that you would grant them uh, effectiveness and faithfulness in their service, in their work. Uh, protect them, give them safety from those hostile to them. We pray also for the Supreme Court of our country uh, as they uh, face many difficult decisions. Uh, Lord, we pray that their decisions would be founded upon your wisdom and not simply the wisdom of the world. Finally, Lord, we pray for the church uh, worldwide. Uh, Lord, your church is uh, growing and bearing fruit, and at the same time, it is meeting with hostility. And we pray for both of those, Lord, that uh, when your church faces prosperity and blessing, uh, that we would not uh, wax fat and kick, as uh, the scriptures put it, uh, and indulge in that prosperity and go astray from your ways. And we pray, Lord, when your church faces hostility and trouble, uh, as uh, those in Nigeria do today, that you would grant them courage uh, without compromise. We pray for the family of Pastor John Mark, who was kidnapped and killed in Nigeria uh, recently. Uh, we pray for all of those church leaders in that country uh, who uh, live and minister in the shadow of knowing that several of their colleagues have been so martyred recently. Give them bravery and help them to speak your word clearly. We pray for the church and for church leaders in Nigeria and throughout Africa, uh, around your world, Lord. And so, Lord, we lift up all these prayers in the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, as we just sang, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess you, King of glory. And we do so now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand together and turn to number 671 for all the saints. Number 671.
standing as God's word is read. We begin in Isaiah chapter 11 today. Isaiah chapter 11, the first 10 verses. Hear God's infallible word. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the Lord, knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 13. Hear God's inerrant word. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. And the gospel reading from Matthew 24. Matthew 24, beginning at verse 36. Again, hear God's word. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. And let's respond to God's word with the profession of our faith that we find on the next page of the bulletin there, the Apostles' Creed. Christians, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Usually I have you be seated at this point. Let's remain standing as we're simply going to read God's word once again, short passages from Revelation. So we'll turn to Revelation 21 and 22. I invite you to turn there if you'd like. Revelation 21, the first eight verses, and then 22, the first five verses. Here once again, though, uh, holy word of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are thrilling and mysterious events that we read and sing of. And so we pray for humility and for understanding as we consider that your consummation of all things at the end. We ask that your word would do its work in us, that it would not simply uh, inform our speculations, but that we would be comforted and encouraged and convicted that you are the God of all. You are the sovereign one who rules all things well. We thank you for this. We ask that you would make us more like Christ through this time. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, here we come to the end of this sermon series on biblical worldview. The last, the last things. And I'm just going to tell you up front, um, you might be uh, alternatively disappointed or annoyed with me throughout this message because when we think about end times, we have specific things in mind. And I might never even get to those today. So that's one thing. And uh, I might uh, talk about other things and you want me to talk about these things. We'll, we'll uh, carry on and tell me later what you think. The theme that I have in the, in the bulletin there, at the return of Christ, he will judge all men and recreate heaven and earth as a blessed and sin-free realm of the kingdom of God. I tried to encapsulate in one sentence all of 
the last things doctrine. That's not easy to do. But let's begin with the, the Apostles' Creed as we have in the past. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Those two phrases are kind of the outline once again. So I want to think about the resurrection of the body first. And the first thing to think about there is from 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2 Corinthians 5. And the question there is, when we think about last things, there's kind of two last things. There's, there's the end of our lives, and then there's the end of all things, right? So the first question is, what happens when we die? What happens when we die? And the systematic theologians, when they discuss last things, the first thing they look at is the intermediate state, it's called. Uh, the answer to the question, what happens when you die, uh, is very simple. As Christians, we go straight to God. We go straight to God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8 puts that very clearly. Uh, when we are uh, present in the body, then we're away from the Lord. Right? There's a sense in which we are not in the immediate presence of God right now. God is everywhere, of course. But when we die, then our, uh, death separates our soul from our body. Right? Our body stops working. Children, sometimes maybe you've seen that at the funeral of a, an aunt or a grandmother or a grandfather. Their, their body lays there in the casket, and it's not working anymore. Right? Uh, but uh, that's a separation of the body from the soul. They're still alive, uh, but they're alive elsewhere. So uh, one pastor uh, put it this way. He, he would take little children aside at the funeral home and, and talk about this 1 Corinthians 5 passage and talk about when they go camping. When you go camping, the, and the, Paul actually uses this terminology, the tent, this earthly tent that we're in, when you're done camping, you pack up your tent and you go home. And, that, and death is like that, that one pastor described it. I thought that was quite good. The analogy doesn't fit every detail, but it fits there, right? There's also a song that we sing. I, I neglected to have us sing it. Um, the day is past and gone. Some of you like that song. And we sing in the first verse of that, we lay our garments by to rest upon our beds. So death will soon disrobe us all. That's, I messed with the words there to make it clearer, but that's the idea, right? Every night you go to bed and you change your clothes and put your pajamas on, there's, there's an analogy there of death. Death will disrobe us all at the end of the day. But again, that doesn't mean that we are um, unconscious. Uh, we go straight to God. The soul of a Christian goes to God to rest and to rejoice. And the soul of unbelievers goes directly into hell. No purgatory, no limbo, no annihilation is involved. Uh, every soul that God has made will continue in existence, uh, either in his blessed presence or in condemnation. So that's the first answer. What happens when you die? We go straight to God. Very simple. Uh, as Christians, the second answer is that we are blessed. And again, this is from 2 Corinthians 5. And I touched on this already in the call to confession. We are um, in a greater state of blessing in the intermediate state. Uh, without the body, in God's immediate presence, that's going to be far better than what we're experiencing now. 
and again, I already mentioned this, but I'm gonna hit it again. The trend today is to react against Gnosticism and so emphasize the importance of the body. And that's good. Uh, I would just say don't swing the pendulum too far. Uh, These passages tell us God does not need to give us bodies to bless us. Don't tell God he can't bless you without a body, right? God can do that, and he's going to. We are incomplete without our bodies. That's true. But the intermediate state is not some kind of limbo where we're just, there's no body, so we can't experience anything. That's not the case either. We'll be conscious. God will give us rest and peace and joy in his presence. We'll have greater communion with God than now. Think of it this way, and and this is very important to consider. Your soul has never had full and free fellowship with God. It's never been the case. It's always been messed with by sin in some way. That's going to happen the moment after you die. Your soul will have full and free communion with God. That's why as believers, uh, grieving the death of a believer, we're not really sad for them, right? They're, They're in God's great blessed presence now. But we're more sad for our own loss of their presence with us. So we're blessed. All sinful desire is gone. Uh, we have fellowship with those we knew on earth. Uh, that is a question that comes up a lot. I think it's true. We'll, we'll know that those who have gone on before will recognize them, will be reunited with them. But we also, uh, Romans 8.23 says, uh, are waiting for the redemption of the body. Right? So I don't know how to put this all together in a consistent piece. But there's going to be a, a, a blessing in God's immediate presence, but also some kind of incompleteness and waiting for our bodies to be resurrected. And Revelation 6 is also interesting. It says that the souls are under the altar who have been martyred, and they cry out to God, how long until you avenge our blood? Right? So there's also a sense there. They're not agonizing over how bad things are on earth. I don't think it's that, but they are longing in a new way. Now that they're in heaven, they're longing for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they're looking for justice, and and they're told, well, you're going to have to wait a little longer because more martyrs are coming, which is quite a sobering thing to consider, God telling the saints in heaven that. So that's what happens when we die. That's the intermediate state. And then, the end of that is the return of Christ. And this is where we look at the life everlasting. So 1 Thessalonians 4 is a good place to go for this. The Lord descends with a shout, with a trumpet, and he he, um, meets with us. The dead will rise. Uh, One thing interesting, I I think it was a new detail for me that I hadn't considered. Uh, One of the main points that Paul's making in 1 Thessalonians 4 is he's comforting those who are living on earth, who are worried. What, what happened to those who are dead? And we just kind of answered that. Uh, but their question was, how are they going to be with Jesus? And how does that all work? And part of Paul's point is, they're with Jesus before we are. We're not going to precede them. They precede us. And I think the new detail I, I learned was that even the resurrection of their body will come before we meet the Lord in the air, which, which is rather interesting that Paul says, even at the, resur- at the return, the, the moment Jesus comes back, uh, those who are already with him in, in soul, 
will have their bodies reunited together before we are even brought up to see Jesus. Which is rather an interesting point, I thought, that Paul uh, sought to make, make to them. And he says, encourage each other with this. The, the point is that those who have gone uh, on to glory already, they are with the Lord and they will be blessed. And they're blessed even before we are. Anyway, the return of Jesus comes. The Lord descends. The living do ascend. There is what we call a rapture, a point in which we are brought up in the air with the Lord. It's just not the rapture that we usually think of associated with pre-trib rapture and post-trib rapture and all that. There is an ascension of those who are still alive, who are believers, to meet the Lord in the air. And that return of Christ will be visible, it will be public to all, and it leads directly to judgment, to judgment day. Uh, So that judgment day comes in Revelation 20, we read about that. I'll just read Revelation 20, verse 12. Uh, John uh, saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And this is quite a thing to think about. Uh, All humans who have ever lived will be brought out of their graves and gathered before the throne. Don't ask me how this is going to work, how long that's going to take, whatever. We don't know. But the the point is, it's comprehensive. Everyone will be uh, judged in this way. The judgment's according to our works, but those in the book of life uh, are not thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, I like C.S. Lewis's depiction of this in The Last Battle. Uh, He has everybody that's ever existed in Narnia come before Aslan, right? And some come before Aslan, and if they look at him and they are terrified and repulsed by him, then they go off to his left into darkness. But if they come before Aslan and they see the one that they have loved and trusted, then they go off to his right into the light. It's just a retelling of the the sheep, separation of the sheep and the goats, really. Uh, That parable we could also consider. So this is Judgment Day, the return of Jesus. The day is unknown to us. It comes like a thief in the night. Uh, We saw that in Matthew 24. It's also in 1 Thessalonians 5. So it comes just like a thief in the night. Uh, And here there's a fair bit of controversy. Uh, Most Christians uh, assume that Jesus could come back any second. Uh, And I think that's true. Jesus could return this afternoon. He could come back before this service is over. Uh, Others disagree with that and say that Jesus won't return until certain things happen. Uh, Things that scripture mentions. The man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2 or the whole world needs to be evangelized first. And these things haven't happened yet, they argue. Uh, And I think the weakness there is that we can't be sure the things we read in the Bible haven't happened yet. Uh, We may be misinterpreting them. Uh, that's, That's from my own experience. For most of my life, I read Matthew 24, and I thought that just referred only to the second coming. But there are actually parts of it, I've come to believe, that probably refer to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. I don't think all of it, but some of it. So it doesn't seem wise to me to be dogmatic in either direction here. Is it an any second return, or is it uh, it'll be a while kind of view? Uh, Jesus tells us a story instead. 
right? The master of the house is gone, and he's going to come back when you don't expect him. And don't expect doesn't mean any second now, but it does mean you've got to be on your guard. It could mean any second now, or, maybe, or, or later, and you just have fallen asleep. So be ready, and be faithful all the time. That's part of the application that Jesus gives us when he talks about the end times. So this is the return of Christ, judgment day, and again, the wicked are turned into hell, it says. Uh, and we'll leave to God how this happens, uh, but it's an eternal conscious punishment for rejecting God. Some say God withdraws his presence from hell. Uh, scripture describes uh, those cast into the outer darkness, right? They're outside of God's house. So there's an there's a implication there that God's absent. You're out of, outside of his blessing. And that's that's one way to consider it. Others say that, no, this, this um, punishment happens in the presence of the Lamb, Revelation says at one point, since God is everywhere. We're not really sure, but those are two ways to consider that. Um, so hell and, and heaven, uh, we should consider uh, more uh, in-depth here. As we think about heaven... Many Christians make the mistake of taking the intermediate state as the final state. We do this a lot, right? And we even, there was even a verse in what we just sang this morning about that, like we're going to go up to heaven to our eternal home. Well, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, right? So to say that we're always going to be only in heaven on the clouds, I think is mistaken. There's a new heavens and earth, uh, with our bodies and our souls both restored. So in my view, life in the new heaven and earth is going to be more like this earth than we realize. Uh, there's going to be an earth to work with. There will be bodily work and pleasures without the frustrations or the temptations. But it'll be different too. No marriage, no procreation, no children, these are some of our greatest delights, so it's hard to imagine. But God will have others for us. Spiritually, we're going to be in a brand new situation in heaven, uh, in, in glory. Not like there, and there's four states, right? It's not like before the fall with Adam and Eve when they were sinless, but they could have sinned. They were free to. And it's not like after the fall where they were sinful and they were unable to obey. And it's also not like now, when we're believers on earth, we're sinful, but we're able to please God with the Spirit's help. It, no, in glory, it will be purged of all sin, uh, the sinful nature gone, and it won't even be possible that we sin. And that's part of the blessed glory of, of heaven. Uh, I think it's the second greatest blessing, honestly. Yeah, complete freedom from sin. And it's second because it's next to seeing God himself face to face. The, the beatific vision, they call it. Just read a great article on Dante's comedy, and it was, uh, the, the whole work is Dante leading up to that blessed, the, the highest point of existence is to see God. It's, it's wonderful, it's glorious. So that's, uh, that's a bit on heaven. There's a book I'd recommend by Randy Elkhorn. It's just called Heaven. 
it's quite thick, deals with all kinds of questions like this. What about time in heaven? How, how old are we going to be? All, all those kind of questions we have, he deals with those quite biblically, I think. So, so these are the clear and the important things to remember, the main things the Bible teaches. What happens when you die? Judgment, resurrection, hell, and heaven. That's last things. That's eschatology. And this is the part where you're going to get a little disappointed or irritated with me. Uh, when we think eschatology today, we don't think about all of that much. Uh, our minds tend to be elsewhere. And I think this is because many teachers in our circles focus on millennial views and how they affect our cultural engagement. And that's a good thing to think about, but we get preoccupied with what's going to happen between now and the return of Jesus. And that's what we think of as eschatology. Uh, and we define our eschatology by our opinion of that. Are things going to get better? Are they going to get worse? Are they going to stay the same? And I believe that when we do this, we have not taken the clear point of the Bible about the end times. Be faithful all the time. Be ready. Keep oil in your lamps. Be a holy people. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, on your citizenship in heaven. We get obsessed with earthly events and piecing them together to see God's providence. And sometimes there's a little bit of that we can do, but don't go too far down that road because God has not given it to us to figure all of that out. So it's important, I think, to notice that the historic church, if you, if you comb our creeds and confessions, they don't address this question at all. <laughs> they talk about everything we've already discussed. So to divide over how we think things are going to go for the church and the gospel is one of the more foolish things that I think Christians can do. I think, I think things will stay about the same. You think they're going to get worse. You think they're going to get better. Why do any of our opinions matter on that when judgment lies before you? And, and hell, and heaven, and God's call to you to steward what he's given you right now in front of you. That's what last things should be about. So I made, I'm considering, this was probably a bad idea, but I'm considering doing an extra message on this next week, uh, on millennial views and prophecy and cultural engagement kind of things. Or I may just move on, I don't know. Uh, but today I'll just close with what's going to happen for sure between now and Christ's return. Christ is king of all the world now. He's going to rule and guide sovereignly all world events exactly how he wants them to be, no matter how bad they could get. I think that's a, one of the main points of the book of Revelation. Jesus takes the scroll at the beginning and he opens it and world events start to happen, right? The scroll is in Christ's hand. Everything is up to him. It's happening, unfolding as he sees fit. So that's part of the point. Christ, especially, he rules the church. He's drawing men to himself from every nation into his church. We, his people, are being sanctified. We're growing in grace. We're repairing ruins where we can. We're fighting temptation. We're dealing with persecution. And no matter how good or bad things get, Jesus will not lose one of his redeemed people right? We may live to see a hundred grandchildren all walking with the Lord in prosperity. It may be that good, 
here on earth. Or uh, martyrs may die at the hands of the enemy, die even a tortured death. But still, Romans 8 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's last things. No separation for us from Christ. So I'll just uh, close. That's, that's a bit of a... Um, persecution kind of note to close on. So I'll uh, turn to Tolkien. I love uh, Tolkien's view of last things. Sometimes it's pessimistic, sometimes it seems more optimistic. But at the end, Sam uh, says, as, as good things start happening in the Shire, is everything sad going to come untrue? He, and he says it in this delightful wonder, like, wow, things are starting to go so well. And that's exactly what's going to happen in the biblical worldview. Everything sad is going to come untrue. That's Revelation 21 and 22. There is a king on the throne, and he is going to set all things right. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving to us uh, an inkling of what is to come for uh, giving us just what we need to know, that we can be faithful and be convicted and be comforted uh, to serve you as your people here on earth. Lord, keep us mindful uh, that we need to serve you in the body, not to seek to escape it. But keep us mindful also uh, that our longing is to be with you above all else. We thank you that you have uh, given your son to die for us, you have given him to be our king as well. That you have given us the call to be faithful and loyal to him until our dying breath. We thank you that you have made promises to us even beyond our dying breath. That you will raise us again to glory as co-heirs with Christ to serve in his kingdom. Lord, you have done all things well. You have been gracious. You have been good. And so we pray to you, and we sing as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and
Let's pray. Lord, you have lifted us up as prisoners out of a pit of sin and pronounced our discharge, our freedom in the courts of heaven. You have justified us by faith, given us peace with you, and made us to enjoy the glorious liberty as your children. Lord, we ask that these gifts now that we bring forward would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, that they would be multiplied and that it would be used to further your word, the truth, the gospel truth in this community and abroad, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. come to the Lord's table this morning and we consider our, our fellowship with Christ and our fellowship with one another. We read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 4, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Thus end the reading of God's word. As we consider these elements before us today, one loaf and one cup, we are reminded that though we are many, we are one body in Christ united by faith and a participation in the gospel. As the body of Christ, we are called to live in fellowship with one another, united in spirit and intent on one purpose, loving each other. We strive daily in humility and we grow in consideration of others as we put off selfishness and empty conceit. We, uh, we work to walk in newness of life, knowing that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completeness. Though we experience trials and sufferings in this life, we are encouraged in Christ and comforted by his love, understanding that he has granted us participation in the spirit, that our joy would be complete. We seek to grow in discernment of and godly wisdom, knowing that we have been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, and that we pray that God would be glorified. As we partake of these elements, consider the ways that we can grow in love, and service to one another, maturing in our understanding of God's goodness to us and the great fellowship that we have as the body of Christ. The body of Christ, broken for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have shown us the fullness of your love in sending into the world your Son, Jesus Christ. The eternal word made flesh for us and for our salvation. For the precious gift of this mighty Savior who has reconciled us to you, we bless you. And we remember in this supper your Son's perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross for our sin. And in the joy of his resurrection and in the expectation of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you as holy and living sacrifices. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'll sing as the bread is passed, uh, 137, Jesus shall reign, 137. 
And God's people said, Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. the blood of Christ shed for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we eat this bread, as we now lift up this cup, may we commune with, may we be united with our Lord Jesus. As we are joined together in him, may we grow up in all things into Christ our Lord. May we be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom at the last day. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. We'll sing 538 as the wine is passed. I think it's uh, been a while since we sang it. Uh, Don will just play it through once. 538.
Amen. In the same manner, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would have given your people courage in this hour as we look forward to that mountain of the Lord that the nations go up to, where we study war no more, where we are at peace with one another and with you. Lord, we lean into that day as we have eaten bread and taken this wine. Lord, they're a foretaste, a pledge of that day to come. And so we thank you for it. We pray that you would strengthen us in this hope. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand now for the commission and the benediction. Second Peter chapter 3. Since all these things are thus, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening? the coming of the day of God. Glory be And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.